Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning we have two scripture lessons. First, from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible or in the Bible found there in the pew around you. Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 in the pew Bible. It can be found on page 61. Hear now these words. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages. As the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these, this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so. In the sight of the elders of Israel, he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Our second scripture lesson comes to us from the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, verses 5 through 26. That can be found in your pew Bible in the New Testament section on page 89. Again, the words will be found upon the screen. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these worship to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, as I said earlier, I am Adam Seed. I'm the lead pastor here at Orange. And Pastor Corey is not with us today because she is preaching a homecoming at the church she had previously served prior to coming to Orange. And what a wonderful time for her to be able to be with those folks that she administered with and for them to get to encounter, spend some time with her husband, Tiagan, and then her two children. And so we are thankful for Pastor Corey and know that they are receiving a blessing Today. Last Sunday, I was not here with you as last weekend, I was a part of a retreat called the Walk to Emmaus. How many of you have heard of those retreats, the Walk to Emmaus? Okay, quite a few have heard of that. If you're unfamiliar, the Walk to Emmaus is a wonderful weekend retreat that is put on to be able to help people come to experience once again and understand the love of God. And as a part of that retreat, you have no outside communication, so no cell phones, no access to email, calls, or text, no idea who won the ball game last Saturday. It was a beautiful experience to be away from all the technology. In fact, when we would take a little bit of a break, they would say, we're going to take this long of a break or this long of a break. And so we would adjust our clocks accordingly. Oh, we had no watches with us either, so we had no idea how long this was. But it was a great time to be able to get away and to be able to get to just experience the incredible love of God. If you're ever interested in something like that, it's a powerful weekend of renewal. Let me know. I'd love to talk with you more about that, be able to see how we might be able to get you plugged in to that as well. So it was truly a gift to me to be able to be away. And while I was away, uh, as it was from Thursday evening to Sunday night, our church council met last Sunday. Our church council meets monthly, and they have an opportunity to assess the ministries of the church and help organize and plan things as we look towards the future. And our church council did something last Sunday. They, they considered something that our bishop, Bishop Connie Shelton, had encouraged congregations within the United Methodist Church, within the conference, of the North Carolina Conference of the Methodist Church, to consider. 
Many of you are well aware that the United Methodist Church has been undergoing a very difficult time in the midst of this division and split. And one of the things we've learned is a third of the churches within our annual conference have had a vote and they voted to leave the denomination and either affiliate with another denomination or simply be independent. And these votes have create, created such harm within those churches that have left and even those that have stayed. 600, over 600 people in the North Carolina conference whose churches chose to leave have still sought to be a part of a Methodist church, but they wanna know where they can find safety, harbor, refuge. And so our bishop has invited congregations that are remaining United Methodists to, to take a vote as a church council on becoming what they have called a lighthouse congregation. A lighthouse congregation is one that says, we are remaining focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, remaining committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we will come together at the table in spite of our division, in spite of our differences, we will focus on Christ and offer safe haven to all those who seek that shelter from the storm. And so our church council considered that and, and made a unanimous vote to not look towards disaffiliating, but instead to look to be a safe harbor, a safe refuge. And I give thanks for that decision. I think it's a beautiful way of saying all are welcome here. And it made me think as they took that vote and made that decision to become a lighthouse congregation. 20 years ago, I was an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And as a part of that ordination, we receive a stole. The stole that is around the neck of a pastor is representative that they have gone through the entire process and have been had hands laid upon them, ordaining them to serve in that clergy role. And as I had received that stole 20 years ago, the church I was received, uh, serving was having a vacation Bible school. And the theme of that vacation Bible school dealt with lighthouses. And so I went on this website 20 years ago, eBay, it's still around today, and I found a stole that had been made with lighthouses. And so 20 years ago, I bought this lighthouse stole to be symbolic of offering safe harbor, offering this reminder, shining the light of Christ out into the world of darkness. And so today I wear that with pride. I give thanks for the way that we seek to be a church that focuses on the light and love of Jesus Christ for all who seek safety from the storm. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, as we come here seeking safe harbor, seeking shelter from the storm, Lord, fill us with your holy presence. May we feel the warmth of your Holy Spirit. May we see the light shining in the darkness. In this time of worship, Lord, would you speak to us? As we've heard your word, as it has been read, and now is to be proclaimed, may your Holy Spirit transform the words that proceed from my mouth, and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, amen. <clears throat> A few years ago, my wife Jennifer and I had an opportunity to go visit the Holy Land. How many of you have 
ever traveled over there to the Holy Land to get to experience, yeah, see, a few of those. It was a wonderful experience to get to walk where Jesus walked, to see the water that Jesus walked upon, and to just get to take it all in. As a part of this Holy Land experience, one of the days we spent going to the Dead Sea. You've probably heard of the Dead Sea. Its concentration of salt and minerals, are, it's so rich with so much that nothing can really live and grow in it. And as we went, one of the experiences of going to the Dead Sea is to get into that water. And the water is so dense with the minerals and the salt that you just float. It is the weirdest experience that I have ever had, I think. You just sit down and it's like you're sitting on something, but it's nothing but thick water that holds you up. And as we were in that water and people are reaching down and taking the, the mud from the bottom of it and rubbing it on their body because something about a mud bath and all the minerals that it would be good for your skin, I don't know, I took some and put it on my head and look at me now. <laughs> but one of the things they told us when we get into the water, don't stay in the water for more than 10 minutes. And once you get out of the water, make sure that you drink some water. They said that the, because of the saline content in the water is so much that it draws the water out of your body. And it can be dangerous. You might get dehydrated. And so I remember getting in the water and experiencing that weird feeling and getting out of the water and drinking some, but then wanting to see if I could experience that weird feeling of floating again and getting back in the water and I got out. As the day went on, I noticed that I began to have a headache. And as the day went on a little bit longer, I was just so thirsty and parched. But then I started noticing my back was hurting. My back, I was just having this ache within my body. This dehydration was beginning to take over. And as much, it seemed as much as I wanted to drink the water, I couldn't drink enough to take away all the aches and pains. You know, when you're really thirsty, when you get to that point of dehydration, your whole body is thinking about that. Your body is longing for water. Your body is longing for that thirst to be quenched. And it consumes every thought within you. You can't think about anything else. You may want to think about something else, but you can't. You're just consumed with what your body is telling you. It's kind of like when you're hungry. Oh, you might be hungry right now. <laughs> when you're hungry and you feel that hunger, you can't think straight. You can't think about anything else except what your body is, is telling you. I remember when our boys were little, we were at a district pastor's meeting, and the, pa the district superintendent had invited all the pastors to bring their families, and we were going to have a meal together. But before they wanted to have the meal, they wanted every pastor to stand up, introduce themselves, and introduce their family. And I don't know if you are aware of this, but sometimes pastors get a little bit long-winded. And so this pastor would stand up and he'd tell a short little story that nobody wanted to hear. And we're all hungry. I mean, you could hear the stomachs growling. And my kids were little and they're sitting at the table with us. And all they kept telling us is, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm going to die. <laughs> and so when it got time for me to introduce myself and my family, I stood up and I said, my name is Adam Seed. I'm the pastor at Trinity United Methodist Church. This is my wife, Jennifer. And these are my two children, hungry and starving. And they looked, and I'm like, because that's all they keep saying. They're hungry and they're starving. So let's go. Let's eat. 
When your body is filled with that longing, whether it's thirst, whether it's hunger, even pain, when it's feeling that stress, sometimes that's all you can think about. You're so consumed with that feeling that almost becomes your identity. I'm hungry, thirsty, I'm hurt, I'm grieving, I'm stressed. It becomes who we are. The people of Israel, in that passage of scripture that I read from just a few moments ago from Exodus, they have been longing and crying out to God for generations. In their time of bondage and slavery in Egypt, they cried out and God heard their cry. And God sent deliverance through Moses. Moses had delivered them from Pharaoh and, and just in the few Verses and passages prior to this, God had delivered them through the Red Sea and swallowed up Pharaoh's army. And as they have crossed over the Red Sea, the scripture tells us in a passage prior to the one that I read today, that they get across and they're thirsty. Oh, they're thirsty. I mean, imagine they've been in a rush. They've been terrified. They've had the adrenaline of crossing through the waters and all that they are carrying everything that they have and, and that they own. And so I can imagine, I understand that thirst. And they cry out and they see water. But the thing is, the water is, it's not pure. It's bitter. And so as they're crying out to God for something to drink, they're really crying out to Moses. And Moses calls out to God and God instructs Moses what to do. To take a stick, a branch, and to place it into the water. And the water would become pure. And sure enough, he does it and the water becomes sweet. And the people were able to drink and have their thirst quenched. You know, as a child, in my naivety, I tried that. I remember taking a branch and putting it in a mud puddle. It didn't change the water, let me tell you. That was a divine act that God did. God did something special. God did something unique in that moment. He met their need because they cried out to him. The scripture continues on and, and they begin to get hungry. And I can just picture my children still sitting at that table. I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm going to die. And sure enough, they're doing that same kind of thing the people of Israel because they're consumed. That's what they're feeling. That's who they have become. They're hungry. They're starving. God hears their cry when Moses lifts it up to God. God does something unique. God says that he is going to send his bread from heaven. And I always love the way this story gets told. God sends the bread from heaven, and they see it upon the ground, and they call it manna, which, once again, I always find this the funniest thing. Manna is literally a question. It's a word that means, what is it? <laughs> God called it bread from heaven. They called it, what is it? And from here on out, that's what we still call it. We know what it was. It was God's bread from heaven. What that looked like, I don't know. But God met their need. When they cried out to him, they lifted up that need. I'm hungry. And God met that need. In the passage today, they've just eaten all the manna. and God's going to continue to provide that manna every day until they cross over the Jordan into the promised land. But God provides that manna. But, so they've been eating. But now, once again, they're thirsty. And there's no water to be seen. There's no water to drink. They cry out to Moses. Give us something to drink. Will you give us a drink? And again, that's become their identity. 
They are so consumed with that. I think it's so bad when we look at the scriptures and say, oh, those silly people of Israel. That's me. I'm one of them. Because when those needs, our body is so focused on those things within us that we can't think of anything else. That's me. They are so focused right now, once again, on their need for water. But I think, really and truly, their need is, goes beyond just the water that they want to drink. Their need goes beyond just that water. Because God hears their cry. And in fact, they've even made it so dramatic that they've said, that we, did you bring us out here just to die of thirst? Us and our children and our livestock? And so Moses goes to God and says, God, look, they're thinking about even stoning me. They're about to kill me. I mean, they are truly putting the pressure on Moses. And Moses doesn't know what to do with it. So Moses cries out to God. God tells him what to do. To take his staff, to go to the rock that God tells him to. To take the staff and to hit, strike the rock. And that water would come forth. And so Moses says, in the presence of all the elders of what he is about to do, he does it and what God is going to do through him. And sure enough, water comes from the rock. They're able to drink and be quenched. <laughs> Once again, as a child, I remember taking rocks and I'd pick them up and I'd shake them, try to see if I could hear water in them, see if it's a snow globe. No, I'd throw them, bang them together, hit it with a stick. Never could I bring water from the rock. Because God was doing something unique in this moment. He was meeting their need. They were so thirsty. But it goes beyond what they needed was not just thirst. See, do you note at the end of that passage that I read how Moses named the place. And it said that for there the people had quarreled with God and put God to the test. Where they asked, is God with us or not? They were thirsty. They're also beginning to wonder. Is God with us? But the thing is, one thing, when they lifted up that cry, give us something to drink. Something they see here is good things happen when we ask for help. Good things happen when you ask for help. They cried out. They had cried out before when the water was bitter and God met their need. They cried out when they were hungry and God came and provided sustenance. They cried out once again being thirsty, but also wondering, is God even with us? And God once again met them right where they were. Good things happen when we ourselves are willing to ask for help. They modeled that for us. But there's another model of one willing to ask for help. In the gospel lesson that we read, we're all very familiar, I'm sure, with the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the, at the well. But in this passage of scripture, Jesus, the scripture says that they had to go through Samaria. No, they didn't have to go through Samaria. It was not the way that they traditionally would have gone. They would have avoided that area. But Jesus led them through into Samaria. And there in the middle of the day at, at Sychar, Jesus' disciples go into the town to get something to eat, to bring something out to them. But it's hot. It's midday. Sun beating down. It's not that far from the, from the Dead Sea, and so it's just so dry. It's, you could just imagine that feeling of thirst within him. And Jesus goes to the well. And, and there's so much important stuff that happens within the story. But one of the things that I find that is so beautiful 
Jesus comes, as he's at the well, and this woman comes, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. The New International Version says, says it in the form of a question. Will you give me a drink? Jesus, ask this woman for a drink. I mean, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and everything in between. Jesus, Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth and all within. Jesus, ask this woman. Will you give me a drink? That thirst within. Jesus asked her for a drink. Now, the scripture goes on, and we learned as we read through that about the interaction uh, that he has with this woman. And he begins to tell her about how he is the living water and how she begins to discern that he truly is the Messiah. That he even says so, that he is the one, I am he. The scripture goes on and says how she went into the town to tell people how Jesus truly is the one. And he goes in, she goes in, and people hear what she has to say, and they want to come out and meet Jesus for themselves. And they do begin to see and believe that he is the Messiah, and they worship him, and Jesus spends extra time there with them. None of that would have happened had she not gone into the town to tell them all about that. It's funny how some people say women shouldn't preach. She was the first one. She was the first evangelist that brought people to Jesus. But good things come when we ask for help. And here Jesus asked this woman, will you give me a drink? You know, I think it's beautiful how the disciples come back out and we can understand they probably brought food and as Jesus stayed, I'm sure there was wonderful hospitality. One thing that the scripture lesson doesn't record is whether or not Jesus ever got something to drink. He asked her for something simple. We never have record of whether or not she offered him something to drink. But you know what I find beautiful? is later in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. He talks about a king separating the sheep and the goats. Are you familiar with this one? And at one time, the king, as he's addressing the sheep, he says, oh, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the people, as Jesus tells the story, he says that they received this word, but they're looking at each other saying, Lord, when do we do that for you? And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I think about that. When those are thirsty, they're thirsty like Jesus was thirsty. And those who are hungry, they're hungry just like Jesus was hungry. And we, we are called to respond to that cry for help. We are called to offer that water. So today, we've got two things. And I'll finish up because I know uh, we lost an hour of sleep last night if you weren't aware. <laughs> When they first said that we might have winter precipitation today, I had snow doubt. Oh, Seeing if you're still with me. All right. <laughs> Last two things. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? What's that need that is within you that is longing, that it consumes every thought, all of your being? What is it within you that holds you? Is it hunger? Is it thirst? 
Is it stress? Is it grief? Is it anger? What is it that's holding on? Today, maybe like the people of Israel and Jesus himself, we can say, Lord, will you give me something to drink? Lord, will you give me a drink? Today, we can surrender that. Maybe today you're thinking, no, that's not me. I'm good. I don't, I'm not in need of anything. I'm not in need of help. I'm, I, I feel pretty good. Thing is, I know that you probably know somebody. God has probably got somebody right there in your circle of influence that's hungry, that's thirsty. And I don't just mean the things of this world. But somebody that needs them to know that God is with them. As the people of Israel cried out, give us something to drink, they also cried out, is the Lord with us or not? And you may know somebody right now that is in that moment of wondering, is God with me or not? And the beautiful thing is, if you have received that living water, you may offer them something to drink. You can come alongside and to be that presence of God that they are seeking so desperately today. In just a moment, I'm going to offer a word of prayer. And if you feel so led, you, you don't have to do this, but I'm a person that likes visual images. That's why I tell so many stories that I'm sure you get tired of hearing. But I like visual images, and today I just couldn't help but thinking about offering Christ something to drink and the way that God meets our needs. And so today, as we have the <laughs> baptismal font down here in the front, got a few small cups and a pitcher. If you feel so led, maybe today this is going to be our way of saying to God, God, I'm thirsty. God knows what our need is that we are longing for, that has become our identity. God knows what that is. You don't have to say it to anybody else. But our act of pouring just a little bit of water into that bowl, let that be our way of saying, Lord, I'm thirsty. Are you with me or not? But the other thing is, that other act might be, Lord, I'm willing to offer living water. There may be somebody that you already know that is coming to mind right now that as I'm saying this, you're already thinking that about that person. And that this act, coming forward and pouring a little bit of water into that bowl, maybe that's our statement to God. Lord, I am willing. I'm willing to offer your living water. And even if you don't have a person in mind, I bet you know somebody that's going to come into your circle this week or sometime soon. Are you willing? Are you willing to offer that hope? Come alongside and be that presence that God is calling us to be. This morning, will you give me a drink? Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we come today. We come bearing all different kinds of things on our hearts and in our minds. But like Jesus comes to the well with the Samaritan woman, Lord, you come alongside us too. Lord, in our hearts and minds, those things that we have been crying out, longing for something more, things that have almost taken over our identity of who we are. Lord, we surrender. 
May your Holy Spirit convict our hearts today. And we surrender to you. We cry out, Lord, will you give us something to drink? Lord, are you with us? As we surrender, Lord, may we know and feel your living water poured out. May it fall upon us in a way that renews us, restores us, fills us once again. But God, there are people in our hearts, in our lives, that we know that they themselves are thirsting and longing for something more. Lord, we don't know exactly what to say or even what to do, but today, may we be willing to submit to be a vessel, a vessel for you, poured out, that our lives might be able to pour the living water that we have received from you to help quench the thirst that are longing so desperately around us. So Lord, we are your children. We are your servants. And we cry out to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.